All right. Well, let's get to the phone lines, and David's up first. Good morning, David. Morning, Bob. Good morning, sir. I was looking. I heard you and Howard yesterday talking about fertilizer. Right. And I went. Out, I was out of hash to grow, so I went looking, but I found some ladybug liquid fertilizer on sale. So I bought two bottles for like seven bucks each. I, I'd have bought ten bottles if I were you. <laughs> it's good I stuff. What the heck? Yeah. Okay. Uh, would it hurt or help to add a little apple cider vinegar to that? I don't think you really need to. Um, it certainly wouldn't hurt anything. Uh, but I I believe that there probably is a little bit of that material already in there. And um, it, it's basically the same thing. If you want to continue to get that product, but uh, like they say, they're not making it under that name anymore. But the fish fertilizer, uh, the liquid fish fertilizer that Medina makes, uh, it is very, very similar to the John Special Recipe, which I think is probably the liquid that you bought. So if you like what it does for your plants, you will be able to continue to use a very similar product. But add, add a little uh, apple cider vinegar if you like. Uh, it certainly won't hurt anything. Okay, I just, I've never used it before, never even seen it, but I have heard you talking about Ladybug in the past, and I thought, I'll give it a shot. I had seven dollars for two bottles. You got a you got the a really super deal. I'm uh, I'm sorry that they didn't have more of it on hand, but yeah, it's a great that's liquid fertilizer. Had. Yeah, that's all they had. Looks like they're getting rid of that stuff. It's well, it's soil depot. yeah, it's uh, uh, again the the parent company of Ladybug. Um, I guess you'd call it a corporate raider or whatever. They uh, they opted not to continue producing the Ladybug line. They're they're making some top quality products of their own at this point. It's just dry products, but uh, it's great fertilizer. There's absolutely nothing wrong with it, and you got a heck of a good deal on it. Okay, so we can use it on pretty much everything. I would not have. I started using, uh, like say, the Medina product on my orchids, and I'm real pleased with it. Okay, all right. Thank you much. Great question. Appreciate the call, David. Right. Thank you, sir. You bet. Goodbye. Bye-bye. Okay, uh, Julie's up next. Good morning, Julie. Good morning, Bob. Good morning. Uh, this morning, I noticed caterpillars eating the leaves of my mints and my roses. Uh-huh. They look like hairy-looking and about an inch long. Right. And then beneath those, there are so many roly-polies, uh-huh. and they're eating just the baby leaves of whatever's growing right now. Right. First, let's focus on the caterpillars and the... On my mints because I love my mints and my roses, of course. <laughs> Look, what can I do what? Well, there's there's a natural product. You don't want to spray it everywhere because it kills all caterpillars. But on a crop like that that you want to protect. Uh, look for a liquid BT, initials Boy Tom, that stands for Bacillus thuringiensis, and uh, it does not kill anything except caterpillars, and it is safe for you to use on things you're going to eat. It comes as a powdered form they call Dipel, D-I-P-E-L, but I find the liquid to be more effective, and I always put just a little bit of molasses with it because it makes it even more effective, but uh, it'll probably be sold under a name like BT Worm Killer or something 
something like that. But that will take care of those caterpillars. Like I say, don't spray your whole garden. We don't want to kill every caterpillar, just the ones that are uh, eating the foliages of the things that you want to eat. And as far as the pill bugs go, there is a very safe product there. It is a bait, which is called Sluggo, S-L-U-G-G-O, Sluggo Plus. And it will get snails, slugs, and pill bugs. Uh, as a matter of fact, I was sprinkling some of it around my greenhouse yesterday evening. I use it and with very good results against pill bugs, but it's totally harmless to people and pets. And uh, it doesn't bother butterflies or other things that uh, you were trying to protect. It won't hurt your beneficials at all. Okay. For the liquid BT? Liquid BT for those? caterpillars, Slug O Plus uh-huh. for uh, pill bugs. Okay, where can I buy the Liquid BT and the Slug Plus? Any good nursery. Any good nursery will have it for you. Okay, and then you said the Liquid BT. Is it one-to-one for the molasses and the liquid, or how much I have to pour into the container? You put about a tablespoon of of molasses per gallon of spray. I'm thinking that the BT formulation is somewhere between a tablespoon and an ounce, one to two tablespoons per gallon of spray. But uh, if you just have a little bit to spray, just what I do is take my quart sprayer. I'd add a teaspoon of uh, BT, and I'd add a teaspoon of molasses, and uh, no more caterpillar problems. So this got, this will work for the mints and the roses. Yes, ma'am. Thank you so much. You have a good weekend. You do the same, Julie. Thank you for the call today. You're Goodbye. Welcome. Bye-bye. All right, leaves two lines open. Grab one if you like, 210-599-5555. Cindy's next. Good morning, Cindy. Hey, good morning, Bob. Good morning. I, I accidentally dialed your cell phone, so just ignore it. Okay, that's that number. I didn't recognize that number, but uh, uh, yeah. <laughs> you got me at the at the line on which I can talk this time of Sunday mornings. That's right. Okay. I have two crotons in two separate pots that I've always put away in the greenhouse when mm-hmm. it gets cold. Right. I'm, I'm getting tired of managing in a pot. And I'm trying to decide, do I really want to put them in the ground or not? Well, if you put them in the ground, they'll be, they'll be beautiful this, uh, this year, but mm, they don't just freeze back. They die. Um, I, yeah, uh, I mean, if you want to go to Southern Mexico, you'll see hedges of them. Uh, in fact, my little sister's house in Northern Mexico, I think she's got some of them that are just about up to the eaves, but hill country, not going to happen. Even a light freeze will kill them. Okay. And they're getting pretty tall and leggy. Mm Is that its normal habitat? That that is normal habit. Uh, if you want to cut it back and force it to branch, you certainly can do so. Oh, it can. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Then, uh, are you familiar with Agoras gramineus? Agoras gramineus? Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah, the sweet flag right. for the pond. Right. Yeah. We had uh, little five pups that came out of the pond and into the crushed granite, and uh-huh. I dug them up, and I'm going to give them to other people that have pond plants or, you know, ponds. It can't grow anyplace else, right? In our soils, they're not real happy. They're more of a Louisiana plant, but uh, they like a lot of moisture. I would plant them, uh, well, like 
you know, yours growing in the crushed granite. That's a fine thing to pot them up in. If you are going to pot them in a soil material, use garden soil only. Do not use any compost. Do not use any manure. Um, those things, when you put them into an aquatic setting, can cause problems. So if you're if you're planting them in soil, just garden soil, but, you know, if these folks have ponds or bog areas that they want to get the sweet flag growing, uh, start them out in, uh, you know, and your decayed granite is fine as well. Okay. Now, I've already dug them up, and I just put them in a pot, and I did, you know, put some potting soil in there just mm-hmm. to hold them. Can I, um, what I, I tell them to pull that out? And just plant it with the big root? That's what I would do, Cindy. Okay. Okay. I'll do that. One last okay. thing on your one last thing on your crotons. If you yeah. want to start back with some smaller plants, crotons are very mm-hmm. successfully air layered. I know you know how to do air layers. And if you want to okay. air layer the top of those plants before you cut them back, you'll have some small plants to grow yourself or give to friends. Plus, you know, when you snip off the rooted air layer, you're pruning it back to where it will branch out and stay pretty and maybe earn a place in the greenhouse for at least one more winter. Yeah. I'm just tired of them. I'm just tired of them. I believe I understand. Yeah. I've got some hanging baskets of the, um, Oh, I don't know what the real name is, but it's the Wandering Jew. Yeah, Tratoscanthias and things like that. Pretty yeah, things, but you know, that's 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 the one thing I will say with orchids, which is what, something I started in the eighth grade, is there are just so many different kinds of orchids that I've not been bored with them in all these years. But I've there are a lot of things that I used to grow that I'm like you. I just finally got to the ho-hum. Why am I growing those things? Let's make room for something better in the greenhouse. So don't apologize. It's, uh, it's a natural thing when you love plants and have as many different choices about what you grow. Yeah, and I got off on a kick on desert roses and then growing them for seeds. And now I've got plants all over the place, and I'm like, what am I doing? You know, it's just a healthy addiction is what these different plants are, and uh, um, I don't feel sorry for you. have been there too many times myself, and it's it's very good. I think we're actually going to put an article in our next newsletter on gardening as therapy. As you well know, it's just not much of anything that's better for the for the mind and for relaxation than growing something you love to grow. And uh, if you get tired of desert roves, I can find you a few other things to try. Oh, no, no. But <laughs> I will tell you that I did very well with my caladiums where I had the bulbs and you told me to nick them. And I put them in little pots and now they're all coming up with multiple little stems. Very good. Very good. Yeah. So I haven't put them in the ground yet. They're just sitting sitting here we never stop learning do we no no i love it i love it (laughs) well you get out and enjoy and uh if you're looking for something fun to do next saturday night you guys head over to uh the bernie uh, volunteer fire department fish fry that's always a good time okay sounds good cindy thank you and have a great sunday thank you okay Bye. bye All right, better get my first break of the hour out of the way. It's, gosh, it's fun. You know, when, when you hear me hang up, it actually happened about eight seconds ago. And yet when I hang up, it's about a tenth of a second before that line lights up again. So I appreciate you guys. All right, it's going to be Danny, Jose, Shirley, and Roy. And uh, Danny's up first. Good morning, Danny. 
Good morning. Morning, sir. Uh, how are you doing today? I'm just great. Having fun like always. <laughs> there you go. Uh, I got a question for you. It's my first year to mess with raised bed gardening. Okay. Okay. And I bought 10 yards of uh, compost from New Earth. Okay. It sat there for about two weeks before I finished the boxes and, and started putting it in there. And it gave it time to cool off. Right. Now, I started putting my plants in about three weeks ago, four weeks ago, something like that. And uh, I started noticing I had squash bugs. Okay. Uh, I'm assuming they came out of my, my property because it was too hot when they delivered it. <laughs> well, so. not really. Squash bugs are everywhere out there they live on some native plants over the winter months and um they really had nothing to do with your with your compost or anything else it's just i mean the day it warms up and it's funny uh with pests like that we could probably pick a hundred different vegetable gardeners around the county and every one of them have squash bugs show up on the same day it's it's all about weather it really isn't about the compost or not compost Okay. What can I do to rid myself of them? Well, I've, I've tried some spinosad. Yeah. And that's about as good. I'll tell you honestly, I wear lightweight garden gloves and the thumb and forefinger work very, very well. I had a girl work for me years ago and she'd step on a big snail and say, he won't have the guts to do that again. And uh, <laughs> I, I have to say that I use mechanical control. If you don't want to physically do them in if that's just too violent i can't believe the politically correct work world we live in <laughs> but uh, just carry yourself a a little bucket that has some soapy water in it or maybe a little bit of a rubbing alcohol in it and just grab uh -huh. them they don't run very fast and throw them into that soapy water throw them into the alcohol and uh they will they will go on to the next world very quickly but okay. uh, I the the spinosad soap is the best product that I've found against a number of different kinds of uh, bugs. But uh, the the squash bugs now for everybody else we're not talking about squash vine borers. We're talking about that gray bug that has a kind of a light gray larva that just uh, gets after those. Uh, uh, physical control is the only thing that I've really found that works on them. But like I say, I just and I found that they hate water. What I will do with a row of squash, I'll take my hose i'll walk along it and just spray it down real good and all those squash bugs come running up to the top come around up to the very top leaves and that's their last trip <laughs> okay <laughs> and i can't take credit for uh coming up to use that spinosad i was at your nursery i was looking for you and you weren't around so one of your guys told me to, to go ahead and give that a try well that's what oh, i uh, use on stink bugs i use it on a lot of different things and uh yeah, I, I'm plant procure. I do most of the paperwork and actually take a couple of days, usually never more than two, but I usually take a couple of days off to work in my own garden. So I'm there probably 50 hours a week, but I just caught a time when I was working on something else. I oh, look, for, okay. look forward yeah. to seeing you next time, Danny. Let, let me ask you one more question. Yes, sir. I've heard rumors on this, and uh, they, they were telling me that when you have pepper plants, and you're trying to make them hotter, they ease back on watering when it starts producing the fruit. Is there any truth to that? Maybe a little hotter, 
But if you, if for you, if Mo Hotta is Mo Better, as they say in Louisiana, uh, there's some new super hot varieties of peppers out there, and uh, there there's some that I mean I can just look at them and and suffer. But um, yes, onions, peppers, most things, keeping them on the drier side will very definitely make them a little bit hotter. But in the case of peppers. I don't know. I think they produce better if you don't cut back on the water too much. But for everything from the Trinidad Scorpion to the Habanero to some of these Thai Hots, man, I I can't imagine with anybody with a strong enough stomach to eat some of those things. But I know they're out there. But, yeah, you'll make them a little hotter. But if you want really, really hot, look for some of the new varieties that are out there. Them hot ones, we make it into a uh, a hot sauce, and then we give it away. (laughs) So, <laughs> That's a pretty anyway. smart thing. I'll tell you another thing that my friend Cappy Lawton, who happens to be one of the best chefs I've ever known, um, he takes the chili pequins, which are a pretty hot little pepper, and he mm-hmm. roasts them, you know, on a smoker. And wow. uh, he then uses those in some of his uh, recipes for everything from salsa to some of the wonderful cooking they do at his restaurants. And uh, that's just that's a great thing to do if you're looking for some heat without just uh, totally destroying your taste buds. Uh, try smoking some chili peas sometime. I think you really like the results. Okay, we'll do that. Uh, thank you for the information. I really appreciate your help. Always a pleasure, Danny. Hope I'm at the nursery next time you're by. Thank you. All righty. <laughs> Bye. All right. Shirley's up next. Good morning, Shirley. Good morning. Good morning. Uh, I'm having a problem with something munching on my plants. What kind of plants? They take a bite. Uh, well, I have a uh, small crepe myrtle that's that's beginning to grow okay and a small uh red bud that's beginning to grow okay tomato plants uh-huh. and my rose bush and they take a bite and it's a perfect circle a little smaller right. than a dime right it when is it, and it's always on the edge of the leaf and it yeah. is actually a little bee that does that there and uh the good news is that they are active for only a very brief period in the spring. I usually see them for no more than three or four weeks at a time. The bad news is that other than getting out there with a butterfly net and trying to chase them down, I've not found anything that really stops them. Now, if it turns into a serious problem, um, you could probably get this material they call Surround WP. It's like a white powdery material mixed with water and spray on it's what we use to stop grasshoppers you can also buy it at a hobby shop under the name of kaolin k-a-o-l-i-n kaolin clay and that stops a lot of chewing things and it might very well stop this little uh stop this little bee uh the one plant that you didn't mention another of its favorite targets is bougainvillea but uh, they make this little just perfectly round circle. But in my experience, they're present for three or four weeks in the spring, and then you'll never see one again. So I wouldn't worry about them too much. They're not going to cause any real serious long-term problem with your plants. They're just going to make some leaves ugly for a short period this spring. Well, I thank you, and I want to thank you for being available whenever we come up with these questions. We think, oh, we'll call Bob about it. Well, you know, it's just a lot of fun, and uh, I I enjoy plants, I enjoy gardening, and I enjoy helping people. So I'm glad to be here for you, and hope you have a wonderful Sunday. 
Thank you. Same Thank you, Shirley. You. Thank you. Bye. Bye. All right, let's go ahead and talk to Roy, and then it'll be Jose and James. Good morning, Roy. Hey, good morning, Bob. How are you today? I'm doing great. It's a beautiful day out there, and uh, look forward to getting back out into it a little afternoon. How can I help you today? Okay, I'm calling uh, from South Lake. Okay. So I just yeah I just need a, a couple of, I guess pointers like uh, on the corn how much or how often do I water corn I got I got some uh, sweet corn candy corn something like that I would be watering it probably every third day Do you live at you live around Falcon Lake or are you just down there catching big bass today <laughs> No I live there Okay yeah, I work out here in Farrow though Yeah Um. It, your soil drains pretty well in the garden. Ideally, uh, I would say probably every third day. If we have a lot of cloudy weather, you could probably back off that a little bit. If we have a lot of windy weather, I sometimes water my corn almost every day. But as a general average, about once every three days, and water thoroughly when you water, that'll grow you some good corn. All right, that'll work. On my green beans, um, they, I've got about maybe 20 or 30 plants, and they're, I've got them on trellises. Okay. And most of them look good and green and leafy, real nice, and they're already putting out beans. But a couple of plants, it seems like they're, the tips are turning, like, dry brown, and they're folding up on some of them only. You may have some spider mites. Uh, beans, whether it's bush beans, pole beans, black-eyed peas, are very, very susceptible to the red spider mites. Uh Get some liquid seaweed. Start spraying those plants uh, about once a week with liquid seaweed, a couple of tablespoons per gallon. That'll make your plants grow better, and it will stop the spider mites. All right. Okay, last question. I'm going to fix to put, uh, or plant some okra here, I guess, within the next week or so. I think it's about I warm enough for that. Point. Yeah. How's that? I say it's just now warm enough for that. So, I, yeah, I think you can plant your okra there in a couple of weeks. Okay. I was going to ask you this. So I've got some vortex compost. Uh-huh. And really, I have I have not uh, prepared the soil yet. I did do some tilling on it, but I haven't put any fertilizer or anything. Is it okay if I put some vortex in there and mix it up and, and then just plant right away? Or I don't or think it's necessary. It, so it certainly won't hurt anything, but... Uh, okra is pretty tough. It is a heavy feeder. I would spend my money on good organic fertilizer, and I'd probably save your your vortex soil for something else. I mean, you're not going to hurt anything, but you're going to grow a good okra without going to that much trouble. So uh, I'd I'd go ahead and put your fertilizer down now, even if it's going to be a few days before you plant your seed. And um, okra is just not real picky about the soil. So long as it's got good sun, so long as it gets regular water and plenty of fertilizer to grow a good okra crop. Okay. Awesome. And uh, I guess I got one more question. Okay. Uh, My squash. So I got some squash and watermelons and all out there. But some of my squashes, it seems like uh, the leaves are turning yellow uh, on some of them. And I do use the... uh, the liquid seaweed and, mm-hmm. and uh, molasses on, on all my garden. Very good. I think how often are you watering your squash? I'm not there half of the time. Like I said, I work out here at Quarrel. Yeah. My yeah. doing it, so... Yeah, I just need pointers on that. Well, you need to to get somebody to water for you on the days that you're away. Squash 
in the summer months needs water almost every day and if it's not getting adequate water that's what will give you those yellow leaves so uh, you can either do like i do i have a little automatic timer on my drip system just like runs a sprinkler system and it waters them like every other day and then i can follow up in the evening if i need to but uh, yellow leaves on your squash it probably is just getting a little too dry between waterings oh okay well that's good to hear oh i appreciate it a whole bunch bob Appreciate you. Get out and enjoy, and uh, and then don't just look at that lake. Get out and catch yourself a good bass every now and then. You're, you're, you're in a great place down on Falcon Roy. You uh, have a great Sunday, and we'll talk again. All right. Boy, that clock's ticking away. We're just 22 minutes away from Dr. Kirby's show. Uh, we're going to talk to, looks like, Hosea's first, and then James, and then Robin. One open line. Better grab it if you'd like. Uh, Jose's first. Good morning. Good morning, sir. Good morning. Appreciate the show very much. Well, thank you. Thank you. Yep. Got a question. Um, I'm growing a key lime tree, and I've managed to keep it alive, but not this year, but last year I had a freeze. and uh, Yes, sir. You know, it it almost killed it, but I I managed to keep the main stock alive. This year it's grown back pretty good. I I did some extra stuff in the winter to keep it going, and it's going up again nice. And I know it's a kind of tropical tree, Uh but uh, my leaves are not dark green. What's the remedy? Well, probably more than anything else, just a little time. Um, Actually, a super dark green leaf is many times a sign that that citrus tree is not getting as much sunlight as it needs. Uh, The green pigment in leaves, of course, is chlorophyll. Chlorophyll is broken down by bright sun, and uh, citrus trees need a lot of sun. So, I think a little bit of that is normal, and I wouldn't be overly concerned. Now, if you want to be sure the tree's got everything it needs as far as developing good green leaves, get a little magic sand. Uh, It's by Ladybug, or get some good green sand, or just use a fertilizer that already has some extra iron added to it. But a bit of a yellowish tinge is not unusual on citrus trees and not that much of a sign of a problem, actually. Okay, I live out. I live out by SeaWorld. Yeah, uh, the you know soil is not. I don't think it's the greatest. <laughs> it's not the worst, but it's a long. Let's say it's closer to the worst than it is to the best. It's a long way from really good. <laughs> um, key limes, Mexican limes, or whatever you want to call them, they are unfortunately the least hardy of all the citrus. So right. as long as you have this tree, you're gonna you're gonna work to protect it from our South Texas winters. And always, when you do get some freeze damage, always watch that new growth real carefully because sometimes it'll sprout out from the rootstock down low and the leaves will look a little bit a little bit different the growth will have great big thorns on it and it will not produce an edible fruit it produces the most sour little orange you've ever seen so uh, i mean the the beauty of the key lime or mexican lime is that it can produce year-round it can bloom year-round other limes of course just have one blooming period one productive period but those little key limes man you can pick from them almost every day and whether it's limeade or margaritas it just doesn't get much better than that but uh, uh be feeding it regularly liquid fertilizer like espoma or has to grow or if you can find some of ladybugs uh recipe those things would all be good and like i say if you want to make it a little darker green uh probably some magic sand or green sand would help but i'm i'm not concerned every really healthy productive citrus tree i've ever seen has a little bit more of a yellowish cast to it than say something like a bay tree or an avocado tree would have 
I see. The other thing, sir, I have a pomegranate tree, and it's given me beautiful pomegranates uh, in years past. But this past year, it gave me these like rotten. Yep. On the inside of them. It was. It was. Almost. Yeah. It was too dry. Um, everybody I know, including me that has pomegranates did not water enough. We were extraordinarily dry up till September last year and probably the poorest quality pomegranates I've ever had. So right now we're in a moist period. It looks like we may stay moist for at least another month. So, uh, your pomegranates are most likely going to be much better this year. And just remember, it's not if, but when we do go back into more drought-like conditions, that pomegranate's going to, going to take a lot of water to really produce quality you're looking for awesome. well have a blessed day sir and uh, thank you very much keep it up it's always a pleasure jose thank you for the uh, call this morning and you do the same um next up is james down at the bottom of the board good morning james good morning bob i'm glad i could get in me too uh hey listen i'm glad you just made a comment too that we're going to be a little moist for the next month because what i want to do today actually just in a few minutes if i could before it gets too hot a lady of Phoenix overheard me. I was looking for some hyacinth bean about three or four years ago, and uh-huh. she said she had some growing, so she brought and left me a pill bottle with about 70 seeds or so. And I soaked them just yesterday, and they're in a jar. Good. Only about only less than 5% are floating. They're all at the bottom. Oh, I think I they're all going to be good anyway. Yeah, I, I, okay. the float test is really for acorns, other seeds that may or may not be reliable. Isn't that a funny-looking seed, a black seed with that white ring around the middle of it? Yeah, and it's got a little, uh, he's got a little orange tint to him looking through the uh-huh. water jar here. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, they're interesting little seeds. My question is, I'm in sand country. I'm going to poke them in the ground. How far apart? Um, are you growing them up a trellis? You know, they're a vining plant. How, how, or what kind of trellis are you growing them on? I got a 150 foot of barbed wire fence that I just cleared out and mowed yesterday. <laughs> okay. Plant them about six inches apart if you want them dense. Yeah, I want them dense. So okay. I got quite a bit of seed, so about six inches. Okay. Yeah, six uh, six uh, inches apart would plant you thirty five feet of uh, fence. Uh, if uh, if you got seventy seeds, uh, if you want to spread it out, you can do okay putting them as much as a foot apart. But uh, okay. where you can, I'd, I'd be looking at six inches as ideal spacing. Okay, all right. I'll probably split the difference with you. <laughs> <laughs> That'll work. I got- I got another question for you. Uh, a year ago, March, I planted a second pecan, a uh, uh, Cheyenne, I believe it was. Now I'm looking at it, and it's was slower to leaf out than my Choctaw, which is established. But it's got the, so it's been in the ground a little more than a year, and it looks like it has a trashy, what you call a trashy trunk. The way uh-huh. it's uh, it's putting growth out up and down the whole entire trunk, but right. not at the top yet. Uh-huh. So should I leave all that this whole second year, all that trashy trunk? I would. Or... Yeah, I would. Okay. And, uh, you know, be careful with your watering. Uh, this is a young tree. It may have suffered a bit from getting too dry, and some of the top of that tree may die out. But it will form a new trunk or a new central leader, as we call it. And um, it's it's not really surprising. Our weather was just, I mean, we went from being extremely dry late spring, summer to very moist in September, October, back very dry again, December, January, February. Now we seem to be a little bit more moist and the poor plants are confused. And I know on my property, I've got 
I'd, well, you know, these are pecan trees were probably grafted 80 years ago, and I have no idea what most of them are, but I've got pecans that are fully leafed out. I've got pecans that are just barely starting to leaf out. So it's not really unusual. I think the trees are, are just a little confused this year. Yeah, it's been weird past year. So, hey, if I today, if I've got some growing green here, should I throw it on that pecan tree? Or I'd be very happy if you did. It Huh? Yeah. Did, you, yeah. did you go ahead and water yeah. it in today? Go right ahead and okay. put that growing green out anywhere you like. How much? It's a, it's a thin trunk. It's maybe about three inches around, four inches around, so maybe just a couple of pounds. Yeah, a couple of pounds would be ideal. Green. Okay. All right. Hey, I appreciate it, as now, always. Now, if you want the word from my meteorologist friend, um, who's pretty darn good. I mean, this guy gets paid to be right, works for an environmental services company, and he is telling me that um, that this is very definitely a weak uh, El Nino pattern, which means that we're not likely to have the flooding rains. But he says that the, the people who know are saying, you know, we're either in El Nino or La Nina, and in between it's a condition called Inso Neutral. And he's saying that we are going to gradually move from this weak El Nino into back into Enso Neutral. But he said that there are some indications that rather than going to the drier El Nino or La Nina pattern, that we move may move back into El Nino with greater chances for rainfall. So if that happens, we may be looking at, uh, you know, a little bit above average moisture for as much as another year, which would sure make most of us farmers happy. Well, that would be great because on the lot my son just bought last year, we planted about uh, seven or eight trees, so it would be a perfect year to get them going. Now, on the negative side, he said that this is a year when the collision between these warm fronts and cool fronts, we may see some violent weather. So um, just uh, keep those those vehicles in the garage and uh, get a good Southwest Metal Roofing Systems roof on your home so the hail doesn't tear it up. Well, I went through a new roof about three years ago, so I don't want another hailstorm for at least another 10. Well, that was his only precaution is that uh, we may have a little (laughs) bit of violent weather. All right, let's get back to the phone calls and uh, Robin's first. Good morning, Robin. Good morning, Bob. Good morning. appreciate you so much. Well, thank you. I've got some Floribunda roses that are orange and yellow mixed colors. Uh, and the thrips just love them. Mm-hmm. It's, I've tried garlic spray. Um, I've tried systemic, and nothing seems to deter these trip, thrips. What do you suggest? Well, next year, it's too late to do it this year, but next winter, I would very definitely be putting out beneficial nematodes around your rose bed. I had this conversation years ago with Robbie Will, who used to manage the Antique Rose Emporium store when it was here. And Robbie mm-hmm. tried putting beneficial nematodes in the beds one year with very limited results. She next year put the beneficial nematodes in the grassy areas and the areas around the rose beds as well as in the rose beds themselves and had virtually no thrips problems. So that is the best long-term control. Now, unfortunately, you have to do that January, February uh, to get the thrips larvae before they become the adult. 
garlic is mm-hmm. the best thing we've got going. You may need to use it a little bit stronger. You may need to use it a little bit more often. You have to remember to always put out your garlic very early in the day because early in the day, um, the what are called the stomata, the openings on the back of the leaf that gas exchange takes place through, those stomata mm-hmm. are wide open. They're practically slammed shut the middle of the day and so you want to do it really early where the plant can really take that garlic up and uh it is still it's still the best stuff we've got going it, it doesn't burn um you might want to double up on your concentration but more than anything the time of the day is really critical about when you put the garlic out as far as stopping the thrips wonderful suggestions i will do that i've been mainly spraying them at night when yeah. the wind dies down so. yeah no get you know if <laughs> I, I i hate to try to turn you into a morning person if you're not already one because <laughs> many people resist that but uh you know soon as it's daylight that is the ultimate time to uh get out there because um it's it's an interesting things plants take up more in the very early part of the day than they do at night it has something to do with the lack of photosynthesis going on as the photosynthesis occurs it helps uh, open these guard cells up which is what opens up the stomata which is what uh, favors the gas exchange so switch that application time to 6 30 a.m if you can and i think you'll see much better results Thank you so much. I'm going to do it. You let me know how it works for you. Okay. Have Thanks, a great Robin. Day. You do. Bye. Bye. All right. We finish up calls with Rosendo. Good morning. Morning, Bob. Afternoon, Bob. Happy Fiesta. <laughs> well, it's <Okay>. yeah, <laughs> it's actually morning still for a little while longer, but you remind me of the caller once he called me uh, about eight thirty in the morning and said good afternoon, and I said, uh, "Well, in our part of the world, it's it's still morning." He said, "Well, I'm calling you from Bahrain, and it's afternoon over here, so I think you're a little closer to home." So we'll go with morning. How can I help you? <laughs> I got two questions, Bob. Yeah. I have uh, four plumera plants. Uh, two of them flowered uh, early, and two of them did not. Okay. Um, I have them in the largest pots I can find, which was about they're twenty-five inch round. You'll never have to and, go bigger than that. Yeah, and uh, you stated earlier on the show uh, two weeks ago that you have to add salt to break down the acidity or pH levels. Do I use uh, culture salt, sea salt, uh, table salt? What kind of salt would I need, and how much? That wasn't me. I oh. don't. I don't use salt on many things, and if I do, I may use a little bit of uh, red salt, what they call mineral salt. But uh, on plumerias, I've I've never suggested adding salt to them. That must have been oh. one of the other garden guys. Oh, okay. Because uh, they stated that because it's in a pot, uh, mm-hmm. the breakdown, uh, you know, your fertilizer stuff, it. It'll get higher acidity or pH levels or something like that? Uh, that's that's dealing with chemical fertilizers and things. If you're using oh, the organic oh. products I recommend, uh, they you don't have to worry about acid or alkaline, and uh, they they should bloom very well for you. I'd, oh. I'd, I'd stay away from those chemical fertilizers and uh, use you know something like a good liquid fish or has-to-grow product and... Um, uh, good sun, your plumeria should bloom beautifully, and you'll never have to worry about burning like you do with some of those other products. Oh, okay. And then the other question I have is, what of them is actually doubled size length, uh-huh. but never bloomed? It never bloomed. It's like 32 inches uh, tall, double the size of the other the other three. Now, uh, is is this a new plant that you've had, or have you had it for several years? 
Uh, I, they're all a year old. I okay. got them all at the same time and planted them all at the same time. Same, uh, same amount of fertilizer. Okay. I mean, I mean, uh, well, here's what I here's what I suspect is some of those plants were grown from cuttings. Those cuttings yes. had already matured and they can bloom the first year. Some of the plants were probably grown from seed, especially this super vigorous one that you have that is bigger than the others. That probably was a seed grown plant rather than a cutting, and seed grown plants take two to three years to bloom for the yes. first time now once they bloom they bloom every year but i think you probably just got a, a seed grown plant that is not quite mature enough to bloom and hopefully you'll have uh, good flowers later this summer okay uh, my, my uh, question is would it be a good idea to cut that in half and make a cutting after uh, no. out of it and put it right next to it no i'd uh, you're not going to speed up anything and you're going to reduce the number okay. of flowers i'd let it grow it should branch on its own if it's getting adequate bright sunlight it'll branch all by itself there's absolutely no reason to cut it back that is slow it down rather than speed it up oh okay well thank you bob i really appreciate the information it's always a pleasure i appreciate the call thank you